Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. For more information, go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. Please use our contact form there if you have questions or would like additional information about anything that we talk about today or otherwise. Our sponsor is CFS Financial. CFS Financial is a full-service financial consulting firm. We work with nonprofits and for-profit companies on matters like debt reconciliation, financing new projects, and all things strategic and financial management related. My guest today is Melanie Harder. Melanie is the CFO of Circle Christian School, and we work together on the board. We both serve on the board of that school. That school is located in the metro Orlando, Florida area, as many of you know. And I typically, on this podcast, introduce my guests by talking about their bio, but I'm excited about having Melanie on here and want her to tell her story and tell you about her credentials. She is a CPA. She is a circle mom of a lovely student who happens to be in one of my classes in full disclosure. So Melanie, it's good to have you here. Welcome. John, thank you so much for having me on today. It's absolutely a pleasure to be able to, to talk to you. Well, I want to hear your story. So, and I know your story, but for our listeners, just if you don't mind, just launch in and talk about who Melanie is. Great. Well, I'll just start at the very beginning because uh, the very beginning is a large part of who I am. I'm a small town girl. I am from a tiny town in northwest Louisiana called Florine, F-L-O-R-I-E-N. If I do not spell it, you'll never figure out how to spell it. But I, I grew up in Florine. I grew up with my grandparents. Uh, during the day up, up until I started school because my mom's a teacher and my dad works full-time also. I went to school at the same uh, elementary and high school. We were all in the same building, graduated. And I'm going to tell you a little bit. It, I don't want it to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm going to tell you a little bit because it's going to help you understand the type of overachiever that I am and some of the obstacles that I've had to face in my life from being an overachiever. But I graduated with four pornos, summa cum laude, out of my high school, and I went to school uh, for undergrad at Louisiana Tech University, and I got my uh, Bachelor of Science in Accounting there and had a great, basically, advisor, and he told me, you need to go to uh, a program and get your master's because they were, this was back when they were about to make the 150 hours requirement to get your CPA exam, or to get your CPA certificate, and so that was some great advice. I ended up at Texas A&M University. I could choose between there or, or University of, Te- of Texas, and I, and I ended up at A&M. And it was just one of the best decisions that I could make because it was a small program. We had less than 20 people 
in each of my classes that I took. But it also opened up a world of opportunities for me because all of the, it was bad back at that time, it was the big six public accounting firms. They all recruited and they took two people. Each of the firms took two people from that program. They took the really smart ones, if I remember correctly. Well, I'll tell you what they did. They started recruiting. We had not been on campus more than probably three weeks when they started their recruiting process that first fall that I was there. And we met them all. And then if they wanted to meet you, they let you know. Um, And I ended up interviewing. Yes, I ended up talking with all six. And I did not pursue. In order to pursue the last one, you had to fill out some paperwork. And I already knew that that was not a good fit for me. So I didn't do the paperwork. So I actually ended up interviewing with only five of them. But I ended up, you had to choose Dallas or Houston. So right there, you know, you had to choose where where do I want to live after this? So I ended up being offered a job with all five of them, but I honed it down to two, to two firms that I wanted to do for office visits. And so I ended up with Ernst & Young in Dallas, Texas. And it was just, a, it was great because that was the environment that I, I just felt like I belonged in that environment. And I loved the people that I that I worked with. So I ended up doing an internship. That was part of our program. So the others, um, sorry, an, sorry to interrupt, but the, the others, when you, when you say the big six, I, I remember this period and uh, it would have been firms like Price Waterhouse, Arthur, Ander- was it called Arthur Anderson? Arthur then? Anderson, yep. KPMG. And you got yeah, offers from of five of them? Yes. That's ridiculous. I didn't even know. Well, that. I got offers to, to come um, and do office visits. Yeah. So I chose to only do office visits with two of them. Okay. Because that was the two. Well, I did. I did more, but really going through that final process, I really didn't want to. I really kind of knew the personality fit that I that I wanted. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. So, so yeah, I really went uh, was pursued by by really more Ernst Young and Deloitte and Touche, um, and that so that's who I actually went to visit in Dallas. But that was such an exciting time. I went and did an internship. So the whole spring semester of my first year in grad school was um, for, for credit. And it was at Ernst Young during their busy time. And, and, and let, so, me, let me ask, I know this is a rude question, but how, how old were you roughly then during this time? Well, I would have been 22. Okay. And you came from small town, Louisiana. Yes. And you moved to Dallas. I did. What's that? I kind of what was that like? Well, that was I. I got to tell you, it was just a whole different ballgame when I stepped into downtown for the first time. I probably had never stayed in that fancy of a hotel. They put us up in the Fairmont because it was right (laughs) by the building. Yeah, it was great. That was the first time I ever encountered. You know the the doors, the revolving doors. I had never been in one of those before. Oh my goodness! No. So, did, did you go, did you get to see the place where Kennedy was uh, shot and all that? Yes. Where everybody goes? Yes. Yep. Yes. But also I had never eaten probably at that level when they're, we, even when they were in the recruiting process, uh, it was in Bryan College Station and they took us to a five-star restaurant oh, no. there. I don't, well, yeah. You said, I mean, you said, I knew, you said, what do I do with all these forks? Oh, yes, probably. I was probably like Julie Robertson pretty much trying to figure out how many times do I need to use for this. <laughs> it was great. It was great. But, um, but yeah, no, it was just um, so exciting because these, these buildings had, you know, like 28 or 30 floors in them. And I had never seen anything like that. 
So yeah, it was definitely a different type of atmosphere for me. But the great thing was I lived with my um, my mom's oldest brother and his wife, my aunt and uncle in Grapevine, which is kind of like a suburb of Dallas. And so mm-hmm. it was great because I had family there and I had some cousins in the area. So at least I had a little bit of familiar and a little bit of home uh, while, I, while I was there doing the internship. And then... Um, When I got back to my grad program, they offered me a full-time job. I got the formal offer, which I was thrilled. And so, of course, I accepted. And then it was just for, you know, for me to finish the last two semesters of my grad program. And I passed part of that CPA exam. It used to take it in four parts. You had to take it all at one time. And so I didn't even study for two of them. So because at that time, you just needed to get a certain grade on it for your parts to count. So I did that past the other two when I got out of busy season, actually during busy season, I think, took the ethics exam for the state of Texas and became a CPA. And by the time I had my CPA, I think I had enough work hours between my busy season hours (laughs) and then the hours that I worked that first busy season coming out of my grad program. So that was exciting. I stayed with Ernst & Young and then they started a shift where they were going to move you into compliance or consulting. And it was kind of a scary time for all of us. Mm -hmm. So I actually went to work for one of their clients. It was a big bank called First USA. Some people may have had a credit card from them. I ran their compliance department for a while. And then I got recruited back by the same lady who recruited me out of A&M. She recruited me back to Ernst & Young. She called it the mothership. So I came back and loved it. I made some lifelong friends at Ernst & Young. Some of the best people relationships that I had came out of there. And I learned a lot about how you treat people, how you treat clients and about, you know, just customer service and serving, you know, other people. You know, that first Uh, year, that first year, I bet you learned a lot about work ethic. I sure did. I mean, that was back when, you know, uh, we were expected to put in whatever hours was needed. Yeah, it's a different environment in public accounting. You just you just have to understand that they expect you to do whatever you need to do to get the job done, and you don't go home until it's done. And for goodness sakes, do not tell them you're going to do something and not follow through. You always, you know, and that's one of the things they're great about telling you that if you get a good person mentoring you, which my recruiter was. They're great about telling you, you know, make sure when you promise something or you take the work on, make sure you know that you can deliver it by when you tell them you can. Yep. That's, so a, I that's did a good learn. principle for all of business. Right. And it was always the other thing I, I learned from a client service is under promise and over deliver. And so that I, I, I've been able to carry As you can imagine, John, you can carry that into every walk of your life. Yep. You I, know? I, I call it just setting low expectations. There you go. <laughs> Low expectations. I like it. But most of us do overshoot with, you know, I'll have it by Thursday. And when you say that, you need to have it by Wednesday if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. You always want to be able to, you know, deliver on, on your word. Because your word, that's you, right? So so, so what happened um, after after uh, Ernst? Oh, after Ernst. So, so I worked at Ernst & Young until I had my first child. And when I had my first child, um, my husband at the time and I made the decision for me to stay at home. We both had full-time jobs. He traveled. And so, you know, there was no way I could work in public accounting and uh, raise our daughter. So I stayed at home. And we actually, when I had 
two children. And when they were two and four, we actually moved to New York City and lived there for a couple of years for his job. And then we ended up moving to the Orlando area when they were four and six. That was back in 2008. Just because everybody's going to think this when they hear this, how how does the... The girl from small town Louisiana. In, <laughs> how how, do you, how did you do in New York? What was that like? I tell you what, and I had already knew this from my stint with EY. They love my accent. So I used to have to make calls to our state tax desk at Ernst Young just because they knew I could get the answer out of them because people love to talk to me because they love my accent. And I found up in New York, they liked it too. But I will tell you the thing that just, shocked me the most was I am used, you know, coming from the South, I'm used to having the door opened for me. I've never had so many doors slam in my face before. And <laughs> I think that was, that was, that took a little bit of getting used to. And then just the, uh, the brusqueness and abruptness of people up there. Yep. It was different. It just, it was a whole, but I tell you what, what absolutely grounded me was the summer that we moved up there. We were involved with a church, and I found my way into a Bible study of Uh of some women, and that really, really gave me root. Because I will tell you what, when you have small kids in New York, anybody that that makes the effort to go to a Bible study because of the subways and everything you have to get through to do that, you really want to be there, and you're really super grateful to be there. Now, what part of what part of town? What part of town did you live in? Well, we actually lived on Roosevelt Island. And for anybody that doesn't or that has been there or really doesn't know, it's in between the Upper East Side and Queens. It's in the East River. Yep. And if you've ever seen the cable car, the cable car actually goes on to Roosevelt Island. And I think it is 60th and 2nd. It's either 59th or 60th and 2nd. It's where you, you get on. And there's one subway stop also that, mm. that's on Roosevelt Island. So there's, there's only a couple of ways off. You can drive on, um, and there's a parking garage in the middle of the island. So that that's kind of a neat. People don't really realize that that's there, but it was it's all residential. And so that was kind of fun, um, only because you didn't walk right out into that busy, hectic traffic. So that was, it was, it was, um, it was a neat, neat environment. Most most of the people that we knew lived on the Upper East Side, but some of them actually did live on the Upper West Side as well. And would come over, yep. From time to time, yep. Now, when um, you, when you say upper, what what street does that kind of start at in your mind? The sixties, kind of. Yeah, that's what I for would me. Say too. I mean, sixties, yeah. seventies. Some people yeah. might. I mean, Midtown is more like you know forties and fifties to me. Yep. You're up. You're up in the Central Park area from a latitude oh, yeah. standpoint. Absolutely. And, and uh-huh. Upper East Side is yeah. east of Central Park. Upper West Side, west of Central Park. West of Central Park. Yeah. And yeah. if you keep going on the west side, you end up in the Bronx. Right. And if you keep going on the east, well, in the east and the west, you end up in Harlem, probably in the hundreds, I would say. Yeah. And then the Bronx is like one twenty, one thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think so. So then you so, move. You move to Orlando. Moved to Orlando. Yeah, moved to Orlando, a suburb of Orlando. Started with a classical Christian school here in the area. The girls were also going to a classical Christian school up in in Manhattan. My oldest daughter had started kindergarten. Well, actually pre-K and kindergarten. She went to those two up there. So she was going into first grade and my little one was going into pre-K. So we were with that school for four years. And then we found Circle Christian School. And we found Circle because good friends of ours that lived uh, right across the street 
were the ones that introduced us to Circle and said, you might want to take a look at this. And what, what grades and so, What grades were your girls in then? Um, they were going, going to be going into third grade and fifth grade. Oh, okay. So it was great. We were still in the elementary, and they had two programs at the time. One program, they called it, they call it core now, but it was more your structured program. You know, you get a weekly assignment sheet. It fits the type A personality, right, for me. And then the other program was called, it was called Enrichment at the time. Actually, I think they still call it that. And it was a little bit more of, a, I would call it more of a liberal arts type approach. But I used it for exactly what it was called, enrichment, because the girls loved it. And so they went to both programs. So uh, so for those cool. people who don't know, because we have a broad audience all over the country, all over the world, describe what Circle Christian School is. And, and we'll come back to that. I mean, you don't have to go into a lot of detail, but just you were kind of homeschooling then, right? Yeah. During, during that we period. Were, yeah. And you used Circle to supplement. And yet other people today use... Uh, circle as their kind of their full-time school and it's accredited and all that but um well and and to be to be quite honest i was using circle as our full-time school because with the girls well the third grade program at the time i had to take what circle gave me and pull from it to do curriculum for her, for her and i had to come up with my own math program so yeah in, in that essence for her i really was homeschooling and using circle to supplement for my fifth grader at that time, we had the what they call core. It was called Framework then for four, fifth, and six back then. Um, that could be literally like their only program that they do because they had four days of assignments. So it's this university hybrid model approach where you get a weekly assignment sheet, John. You know this very well. Where in college, you get a syllabus for the whole semester. Well, at Circle, you get a weekly assignment sheet, and that's for the week. And yep. so some of those assignments are done online and some of those assignments you take to class. And the majority when you're when they're in the elementary classes, you can imagine they get taken to class. Right. Yep. So for our high schoolers, it really is a lot of online assignments that they do and submit over our ELC. And we, and we use the same type of program that a bunch of the big universities yep. use as well. But it's 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 like a university model because. As they progress and you get out of elementary school and you really kind of get out of middle or middle schoolers pretty much take the same thing. But, you know, as you get into high school, you have your core subject. Right. But you have people that are at different paces, like with math and things like that. But for electives, you've got all these people that have all these different interests. So I love the model because it really lets you customize the education of your child for their strengths and yep. their weaknesses. Yep. Now it's great. Now circle is not a homeschooling co-op. It no. was, it was kind of started that way 35 years ago, but it's accredited now by uh, Cognia, by, by uh, the, right. the predecessor. Uh, well, advanced ed was the predecessor now Cognia and we have compliance with state standards and, and all the rest, but the classes are scheduled differently than a traditional school. Can you just just touch on that, and then I want to get you back to your story. Well, if I understand your correction, your question, just course correct me if I don't. But the, the classes are such that typically for our, and you want me to talk more probably high school. Yeah. I, I kind of told you with our elementary program, there's a one day a week program, so the whole day is like your core, and the whole day would be an enrichment. And those are two different days a week on three campuses. 
for the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, it is a lot more, I call it, I love to call it a la carte because let's take a high schooler, for example. You know, you got to have your core programs, your math, your English, your history, and your science. Our math programs are two-day-a-week classes. So let's say if you have Monday and Thursday, you're going both Monday and Thursday for math. But like for your science and your English and your history, those are typically just one day a week courses. So you may have two courses on Monday and two courses on Thursday, depending on what you've picked. And then you you have electives also sprinkled, you know, out through there, depending on the schedule. And you don't even have to go to the same campus. Sometimes I know um, we offer a culinary arts class and my youngest daughter, who is now a senior in high school, was so excited that I drove her to a different campus in a different part of town for her to be able to take that course. Yeah. So, again, you can go to different to different campuses. The other thing that I will mention is we have one day that it's only our arts program because we have an award-winning theater company where you can get a special diploma if you participate in that group for four years. And so that's like our Wednesday class. So only arts classes and arts electives are on that day. Yeah. And, and that, circle students win state championships in all kinds of sports oh, yeah. and do all kinds of interesting th- things. As you were talking, I was thinking, you know, it's important to say, because this, I do work with schools all over the country. And I, uh, when I, when I tell them about circle Christian school, they, and they want to know about it because they know I'm on the board and they know I teach there that they, they kind of don't know what to compare it to. And I often tell them many of the things you just said. And I say, you know, it's the students thrive there and it's not just one kind of student. It's a, it's a broad array of students because they get to start to simulate what, college is going to be like and absolutely and they they can uh, I, I think they have less boredom less less time between things than a traditional not not to disparage the traditional model it works for some people but in this model the rigor is still there but the student has that a la carte flexibility they've it's a kind of a hybrid model you're actually physically in class far fewer hours depending on the class exactly. than, you, than you would be and I've noticed, and, and this is just anecdotally, I, I don't have any data to prove this, but just being close to some of the families and watching them over the years, students at Circle do better when they go to college because they, they're already living like that. They know cool. I'm not sitting in a class and changing periods all day long, every day. I've got some mobility and some options, and it allows the the really engaged student that wants to do a bunch of different things, it allows them to do that. And it allows the, uh, this is sounding like a commercial now, but it, but it allows the athlete or the person who's in the arts and really focused on just one extra interest. It allows them to really pursue that at a very high level. And we've, we've got students who get college scholarships to play on the golf team of division one schools. And we get people who decide to major in drama or some element of theater or the arts and kind of everything in between. And so it's quite a diverse place with diverse interests. It's, it's sort of cool to get to be a small part of it. It really is. And, and I will tell you this, I know UCF, they have kind of like an, it's an ori it's a required orientation program for their students that are entering, you know, as freshmen. And I will tell you that that gets waived for circle kids because they've got a track record now that they are so well prepared to work on that syllabus type, for lack of a better word, environment, yep. that, that that 
course actually does get waived for them. And UCF is the University of Central Florida. For those of you who aren't from Florida, it's a Mm -hmm. 60 some thousand student uh, division one school. That's absolutely right. And the kids, you hit the the nail on the head talking about flexibility. I mean, that's one of the things my daughters love. Year-round swimmer doesn't really love to get up super early in the morning and does not like it when you waste her time. And so that's one thing she loves about Circle is she is not sitting in a classroom um, finishing up her work and then having to sit there and wait for 20 or 30 minutes until the bell rings so she can move on. She can go ahead and move on to her next topic. Yeah, and I'll add, so, I'll add this just quickly. These are the best students and the best families uh, to work with. This is a, it's a special. This isn't an infomercial for Circle Christian School, but this is a special place. And, and your your story continues though. And I I don't know what else you have to say about this period after you moved your daughters to Circle Christian School, but I want you to get to the part where you decide to resume your career. Right. Well, yes, as I said, you know, we moved the girls uh, to circle when they were going into their third and fifth grade. And I re-entered the workforce of public accounting via a local public accounting firm when the girls were going into ninth and seventh grade. Okay. So that was, just a whole game changer right there because I had three sets of tax laws at that point. I didn't mention my master's at Texas A&M was in uh, taxation. So I had three different tax laws going that I was trying to keep straight because I kept remembering how things were 15, 20 years ago, right? So I re-entered that workforce because a friend's husband from the first school we went to needed someone to come in and a tax manager basically to come in and, and help out and, I seemed to be what they were looking for. So I, I reentered that and I, I was there for a while. And then I ended up at a semi-national firm just because I, I needed better, you know, benefits and, and things like that and worked there for a short bit of time and got some great experience with not-for-profit. And that's kind of when, John, our stories collided because I saw in our update that, that Circle was looking for a bookkeeper, and I actually tried to send you a friend of mine. And she yep. came back and said, "I, you know, I think they need something. They're looking for something a little bit more than a bookkeeper. And so that's when I called you. And by the end of talking to you for about an hour, I was trying to sell you on the fact that I was what you needed for Circle Christian School. <laughs> and I was trying to and I was trying to explain to you that that you would be bored and that we couldn't afford you. Absolutely. Because what, and at the time I did tell you this, I told you, I said, well, I said, they've offered me a partnership at, at this semi-national firm. And I, and I told you, I was like, I don't think that's what I want to do at this juncture in my life. You know, I don't want to start that, start a career about 12 years, 12 to 15 years too late. Right. Yeah. And what you didn't know, or maybe I did tell you at the time was when the girls had first started at Circle, I actually had contacted the founder and said, hey, I'm a CPA. If you need some help, I would love you know, to be able to help you. But they really didn't need me at the time. So it was a huge blessing. I'd always wanted to work. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if I could work in ministry? And, and you know, I didn't know if that was a church. I didn't know what that really looked like. Yep. But when Circle, when it, when it came about, it was just like a huge answer to prayer because I had really been praying. And seeking, you know, God's will for my life. And where do you want to use me? 
because as you know, the trajectory of our story, it changes. We entered different seasons at different times in our life. And I knew I was at the juncture of a new season. Yep. And so I just wanted to, to listen and hear what he had for me. Well, and and I'll, so I'll tell you this. I did come. I'll tell you this anecdotally for those who haven't maybe followed the story. What was going on at Circle at the time was Circle was growing up. It, it was a... Uh, a small school at one time and and then grew and enrollment, you know, with this hybrid model, it's enrollment, you count it just a little differently than you do other places, but well over 800 students for a number of years and lots of classes, a good size payroll. And that means uh, lots of members of the faculty and administration. And we recognized as a board a, a couple of years ago, the need to implement policies and controls and some of those things. And those of you in, in business or in in accounting, you know, you know what those are. And we really wanted to kind of step up in that regard. So finding you at a time where we knew we had the need was definitely something that we had been praying for on, on our end. And I, I remember talking to other candidates and it was funny. Uh, we we met a lot of uh, gracious, kind people, including your friend. But it just clearly wasn't right. And I knew when when we met that you, uh, I didn't know about the 4.0 th- throughout your entire life. That would have intimidated me. But I did know a little bit about your background. I knew about the Ernst and Young experience, and I knew that you cared about the mission of Circle Christian School, that you cared about advancing God's kingdom, that you cared about the gospel, and that you're Amen. and that you're also technically capable. And that that was the appeal. And then we as a board decided that yes, this would be a good idea. And and uh, that was over a year ago. And here you are. Yes. And I do want to tell you one thing. I did not make a 4.0 in grad school because oh. there was one class where oh, you my had goodness. to just speak up and ask questions. And if I didn't have questions, I just didn't have questions. So I did not make 4.0 <laughs> in grad school. I, did, I, I don't want any of my old professors listening saying, hey, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> I gave you an A minus. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Oh, there you go. No. I'll tell you what, the thing that I love coming to work at Circle every day is it doesn't feel like a job. It truly does feel like a ministry. And not only that, but I've gotten, I come to work some days and the some of the stuff I do, I'm like, wait a minute, I've never done this before. How do I know how to do this? And I know that it's God equipping me to do what he's called me to do because he's always faithful. If he calls us to do something, he always equips us to do whatever he's asked. And one of the biggest blessings for me, John, has been to write what we call Essentials of the Faith. And you may want to tell them a little bit about what that is. But it has just been a huge blessing for me to be able to write that and get into the Word and just really dig in it and come up with these profound nuggets out of the Scripture that I feel like the Holy Spirit's, you know, placing on my heart to share with these families every week. Yeah, and your writing reads like you're an old theologian who knows Scripture inside and out. And I'll tell you, for benefit of the audience, uh, the, the listener, it's a challenging thing at a school like Circle Christian School because we, like a lot of ministries that are national ministries even, you tend to focus on the essentials of the faith and 
deciding what the essentials, you know, the really important things like, like the gospel itself and obviously the inerrancy of scripture and, and the deity of Christ and all those things are very important to us. And we hold to those things, but we're denominationally diverse. And so we've landed for these updates with these essentials, we've landed on a kind of a hybrid version of a new city catechism, which a lot of people will be familiar with from Redeemer and uh, Tim Keller's ministry, the Gospel Coalition. So we kind of have picked and chosen the the best of those, the most essential of the essentials. And yeah, that writing is a wonderful ministry that you don't get to do at Ernst & Young or other places. And this is fun for me to talk about because I experienced a similar it wasn't a crisis. It wasn't a midlife crisis or even a career crisis, but it was a kind of um, reaching the point where I wanted to do something more meaningful with the rest of my career and have been able to do that. So I know what you mean when you talk about investing in families, you get to do that through what starts out as maybe some mundane topics. And then you, you end up getting to pray with people and care for them and help them along and and we grow in God's grace together and that's what this school is is really all about but we've been through a transition at, from from founders to now just last week naming a new head of school we've been through a couple of transitions with that one being the, the most major and I think of this new head of school Matt Adams for those who don't know him very fondly and I know you know Matt and work with him and I know that, I mean, the, literally, this was announced just a few working days ago. So this is fresh. But talk about that just for a second and 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 talk about the future just a little bit as you see it. Oh, absolutely. Well, as you as you are well aware, we have very beloved founders. And so we, we knew there's no way we can replace them. You, you cannot replace people who have spent their lives building an organization. That's right. So. From, from that standpoint, you know, we're looking at, okay, who can come in now and take this now to the next level where we are? You know, we, we're, we're a large school. It's like you said, we've got over 800 students, right? And we're facing, you know this, in, the, in our world today, a lot of issues in Christian education that we weren't facing 10 years ago or even five years ago. That's right. So I've actually had the privilege of working with Matt. Matt and I were new. He had just a few months on me when I started, and I found myself conversing with him rather frequently on policies and things like that and just getting his input, and I really appreciate it. He's actually wise. I would say maybe you would even say wise beyond his years, but he's got such a great, fresh perspective, and that's what I was seeking out sometimes when I would be like, hey, Matt, what do you think about this? So I am thrilled because my daughter, actually, she's a senior. I mentioned that. She had her guidance appointment with him. So I got to see him interact with her and got to hear his take on that. I'm just so excited for the families because they love him in the capacity of director of guidance. They love him in the capacity of he works with our theater kids. He works with lighting for our theater program. Now they're going to get to see him in the light of leading this organization into the future. And I'm just, I'm thrilled because I, I, I watched the reactions of our of our senior most leadership, I've watched the reactions of some of friends of mine that are also parents. I watched the reaction of my daughter, who was so excited 
to know that Mr. Adams was going to now, you know, be leading such a Christian school. So I just think we've got some incredibly bright days ahead. This is a godly young man. I say young because he's younger than me. I joke with him about that. He's got his whole family's here. His wife is a very integral part of our team. And we're just thrilled. And I can't wait to see the fresh spin, basically, that he's going to bring to some of our, our meetings there big projects that we have out there. You know, in a sense, he's got great experience from a large traditional Christian school, more traditional than, yes. than Circle uh, locally. And he also, he kind of has the best of both worlds because he's been here for a while uh, and he assumed the duties of the uh, academic advisory or guidance counseling part of the school from a lady, uh, Sue McIntyre, who who also was beloved and is mm-hmm. is loved and valued and appreciated and was a real strength one of the one of the just the pillars of strength at Circle Christian School and so Matt is no stranger to taking on big challenges he's equipped for it and uh, I'm excited that he's here and thankful that that you're here and uh, you know this is now sounding officially like an infomercial for Circle Christian School but it's just it's just our story it's part of it's part right. part of who we are. It's a blessing to get to have this conversation. I want you to I want to get you to just do one more thing if you would and talk to because you have such good perspective as a Christian mother. You understand the importance of theology. We've had a number of conversations and I bump into all kinds of people. The cir- circle parents are generally solid theologically and interested in the purity of biblical truth, but talk about that just for the benefit of perhaps mothers and fathers and even young people who are out there. You just quickly mentioned the challenges of this day, and they are numerous. My heart goes out to our young people, and I want to I want to be involved in equipping them. And I'm wondering, in just in this short time that we have left, if you could just Talk about the gospel. Talk about the way you see theology in terms of our young people today, young families today. Absolutely. I will tell you, I think the biggest question out there, and it is the gospel, is your is our identity. Where, you know, where is our identity? And if our identity is not centered in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, then we don't know how to relate to the rest of our world right? The scripture very, very clearly tells us that we have been made righteous by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that act that he did on the cross, that sacrifice that he made on that cross, when he took our sin on himself and he died and rose again so that we could take on a new self, we could take on a new life. Amen. That is, that's, that is where my identity is. My identity is there at the foot of that cross, John, every day. That's where I have to look. I cannot fill that God. There's a, there's a God shaped hole, right? You've heard of that in all of our hearts. I cannot fill that with anything in the world. I can't fill it with another person. I can't fill it with my child. I can't fill it with another degree. I can't fill it with this, with this uh, career achievement. I can only fill that with Christ. And when I fill it with Christ, my whole perspective changes when I look to him, yep. when I'm 
seeing these turmoil and these trials and these situations and as believers, we're, we've told, been told this is not going to be easy, and it's not. But when I place it at the foot of the cross, that is when I let him take over. The battle belongs to him. It's no longer me trying to win it. It's no longer me trying to win his approval, trying to win his love. I just set it at the foot of the cross because that's the other thing. That's the other thing. When we know how dearly we've been loved, how can we not love those around us, right? Well, that's right. And, and I've, I've tried all those other unhealthy things you just rattled off. Filling that human need any place other than the gospel is woefully inadequate and it leads to frustration and lives of sin and incompleteness and anxiety and, and all the rest. You just said that really well. And the one, the one last thing is that, remember that type A, super achiever that I told you about. Yeah. Well, that person had to learn. There is not one thing that I can do. There's not one thing I need to do to earn my father's love. He already loves me. Mm. He loves me just as I am. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and do exactly what I want in every situation. That doesn't give me that free will to just do. Well, I have free will, but it doesn't give me the freedom. Right. To just go out and do what I want, right? But it is but unconditional day, love. That's it is right. unconditional love. That is what I want to get across. It is unconditional love. I don't have to check the box mm. for him to love me. I don't have to check the box to go up a higher rung on, you know, on the ladder of how much does he love me? You know, what? how much is he going to accept me? It's already been done and it was done at the cross. And so if you hear nothing else from me, hear this today. You know, just know that your foundation has already been laid there. The cornerstone is Jesus. We are part of that living vine. And there is not one thing that I have to do to try to earn that. It's given to me freely. And I am so grateful for that every day because there is nothing. Because I know in my type A overachiever self, I'm going to want to try to check every box. I'm going to make a list and check it twice and try to double check it, right? (laughs) At least. At least, right? But the beauty of it is I don't have to do that anymore because he loves me just as I am. He doesn't make junk. That's what I tell my kids. Well, I I was going to lead this off. That's amen. That's right. I was going to lead this off with you're the best kept secret at circle, but you're not going to be now that you've, you've, uh, you're here. So we need a lifetime contract with you. And I, I am, (laughs) I am thankful that you're my friend and I'm thankful to get to labor with you on the board and at circle Christian school. And I'm thankful that you told this audience your story. And I want to have you back another time to further talk about the truth that guides your life. You've talked about it so well here and thank you for coming on. Oh, well, thank you, John, for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, folks, please like share review and subscribe to relentless truth. It is So good to be with you and good to have our special guest, my friend, Melanie Harder. And uh, we look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. 
Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.